Well, good morning. It's great to have you here today. Welcome to the chapel. Uh, we pray that you can rejoice in the goodness of God as we sing together. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. A couple quick announcements. Um, we have a mission uh, update coming up for us from one of somebody actually from Rwanda. Uh, Laura Pierce will be with us on uh, Saturday, September 17th, and we'll, we'll give you more details as we get closer, but we'll have kind of a meet and greet time at 6.30, 7 o'clock, a celebration time where you can really hear what God is doing in Rwanda. It's really, really exciting, and so we want to celebrate that. So it's both for the chapel, and we're also inviting some other churches in the area to come in and hear about some of these things. So anyway, we'd love to have you come. Maybe put that down on your calendar, September 17th, um, 6.30, 7 o'clock, for a, a missions update from our ministry in Rwanda. We have something else to celebrate. Um, baby Anthony Vincent... Bono came, uh, was, was, uh, let's do I have the, the weight here correctly, seven pounds, five ounces was born this week, so that's exciting. Yeah. And one more, one more, one way to grow a church is from the, from the bottom up, and that's one of the approaches here. Amelia Grace Dean was also born this week, so we're... Okay. <laughs> Does anybody have the weight? I don't have the weight on this one here. I just have the name, which is seven-ish, seven-ish. That will work. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll go with that. So we rejoice over God's goodness. It is a joy to have you with us here today. And our prayer is always that this is not time spent, but time invested where God does tr his transformative work. And that is our prayer for you as you're with us here today. Let's pray to the Lord before we begin. Father, we, uh, we rejoice that we can be together as your people. We rejoice most of all over the hope we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, help us never to get over our salvation. The wonder that you have loved us in the person of your son he has died for us. He's resurrected. He rules. He's coming back one day. And you have sent the Spirit that we might be different people. Father, do your good work in our time together today. Lord, we know the needs represented here in this room are multifaceted. There's relational challenges and physical challenges and circumstantial challenges. Um, a lot of these things are held privately by people. They haven't shared them with anybody. And Lord, our, our prayer is that you would grant them perspective. And Lord, you would grant them as they need help to talk to others about what they're experiencing. And that as a body, we would seek to really support and love one another. In the road, that's not always easy, but it's one that you are with us in. And for that, we are eternally grateful. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. sing with us. Everyone needs compassion. And a love that doesn't fail, 
Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior. He's the hope of nations. He's our Savior. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. The author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Yes, he conquered the grave. Mercy fell on us. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures. Come fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Yes, everything. Now I surrender. Yes, we surrender, Lord. Your Savior. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty. He is mighty to save forever, the author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the peace, our Savior. The Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. And forever, the author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. We shine our light. We let the whole world see. Let's sing that shine your light. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Oh, Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. 
Jesus. From age to age you reign, your kingdom has no end. We lift up banner high, we lift the name of Jesus. From age to age you reign, your kingdom has no end. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are victorious. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are victorious. There is a name, there is a name who reigns without contention, whose power can't be questioned or contained with humble faith. He rules the earth and heavens, his glory knows no measure or refrain. And it's bursting past the borderlines of space. Jesus, enthroned upon the praises of our hearts. Jesus, you're the king and you're the center of it all. There is a name, there is a name reaching past the margins and calling sons and daughters back to him. And as he saves, and as he saves, we can hear, we can hear the roar of heaven as prodigals are coming home again. Oh, the triumph. Oh, the triumph of his name will never end. Jesus enthroned. Jesus enthroned upon the praises of our heart. We adore you, Lord. We worship you. Jesus, you're the king and you're the center of it all. You're the king and you're the center of it all. 
every eye will see. For every eye will see, every heart will know, there is no name above the name of Jesus. Death could not hold him down, no grave could keep him bound. All sin and sickness bow to the name of Jesus, for every eye will see. Every heart will know there is no name above the name of Jesus. Death could not hold him down, no grief could keep him bound. All sin and sickness bow to the name of Jesus. Yes, no grave could keep him bound. Everything bows to you, Lord. We bow to you, Jesus, enthroned. Jesus, enthroned upon the praises of our hearts. We worship you, Lord. We adore you, Lord. Jesus, you're the king and you're the center of it all. We place you first in our hearts, Lord. Jesus. Jesus, enthroned upon the praises of our hearts. You're the king of our hearts. Jesus, you're the king and you're the center of it all. There is a name who without contention whose power can't be questioned or contained with humble faith he rules the earth and heavens his glory knows no measure or refrain and it's bursting past the borderlines of space How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine? Who could imagine so great a mercy? Who could imagine? I could fathom such boundless grace. The God of ages, He stepped down, stepped down from glory to where my 
God, this morning, we know that we praise and we glorify a God who is alive, who defeated death, the only God who holds the keys to death, to our salvation. 
How great a mercy. What heart could fathom such boundless grace, God, you give to us. Thank you this morning, Lord, that we can sing these truths and sing these things about you and to you and for you and encourage each other in our song. It's always great to be together. God, we ask that you please will continue to help us to worship as we hear your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. to the Gospel of John, chapter 17, and then I'm going to reference a couple of passages from the book of Proverbs. kind of was uh, thinking through uh, the passages that we looked at last week, looking at the topic of pride, uh, understanding how uh, prone we are uh, to struggle with pride. And one of the texts that I had done a little bit of reading and research on was uh, John, chapter 17 because it is the text that celebrates most profoundly and clearly the community that is the Trinity, that is God himself. And so there, there's a beautiful picture in that that I want us to unpack together this morning. And I'm going to tag into a couple of the Proverbs. You won't have to look them up. I'll just I'll quote them for you. But I did want to say this also. Uh, preaching is a very interesting experience. Um, People said, do you ever get past the nervousness of it? For me, the answer is no, I don't. Uh, I always get the butterflies. I always get that little bit of anxiety. And as I said last week, that's probably more rooted in my pride than it is in the desire to love you by giving you God's word on a weekly basis as a pastoral team. This is being honest. So last week in the middle of my sermon, I, I drew a blank. I told you a story uh, I told you about the experience of preaching bad sermons and wondering if it was more painful for you than it was for me, okay? And uh, the reason for saying that was this. It was that my experience has been that God takes the weak things, the sermon that I thought didn't go so well, and you end up having people saying, hey, thank you, that helped me today. There's something about that experience that is very humbling and causes us to realize that the work of ministry of, can I have that real quick? I have a bit of this sinus thing going on. It's not that I'm emotional. That's just there in case my cold acts up, okay? But there is, there is something about that and, and by the way, the reason that happened to me last week is because I, I wrestled with focus, okay, if you're not aware of that. Um, I tend to be a person that moves from one thing to the next. I, the more tracks running, the better I feel. I cannot explain it, all right? My wife calls it psychosis, okay? <laughs> like it's, she thinks it's diagnosable. I'm afraid that it is, so we're not finding out, okay? Uh, but it is necessary that God keep us humble for God to use us. And it is that experience of realizing, okay, that wasn't so good in my estimation, but God in his mercy and grace used it to help someone and to glorify his name. So we trust that you will pray for us as we prepare each week to bring God's truth because what we have to share is God's word and it is crucial uh, to the direction of our lives and ultimately to the 
the, the, the fact of God being glorified through the lives that we live for him. So we are uh, people needy every Sunday that we stand in this pulpit. So Father, help us today to be good listeners. Help me to be an adequate vessel for you to use. And that we trust that what we need to learn from who you are will confront our tendency to pride and that it will change us so that the world around us will know that God sent his son into the world for our saving. So Lord, make us deeply humble so that Christ will be highly exalted and without competition from foolish people like us. Bless your word to us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So John 17, I want to read 1 through 5, and then I want to read 20 through 23. As I read through this, can I ask you to just try to meditate on and think about um, the emphasis on community within the Godhead? Okay, uh, the, 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 the plurality within what we call God, the Trinity. Okay, I just want you to, I want you to see the, the movement back and forth, the, the deference, if you will, okay, that is present. Because I think it's something that we often miss. I had to have a writer help me with seeing this as I was reading. John 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. And just for clarification, the hour is that Christ has come to the beginning of the passion. Okay? Working through Gethsemane, working through uh, the, the, the brutal trials, working through the abuse and suffering that he endured finally to hang on a cross. Okay? The hour has come. So all through the Gospel of John, you will see Jesus saying, remember this, he says it to Mary when she wants him to make, turn wine into water at a wedding. What does he say to her? My hour has not yet come. Okay, but here Jesus says in John's, and that, that happens in a, in a rather consistent basis throughout the Gospel of John. Here Jesus prays to his father in his moment of deepest need when the need for community, for support and strengthening is at its absolute highest. The hour has come. The purpose for which I came into the world has come. After he said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. You start to see this movement back and forth. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm going to use three words to kind of lead us through this discussion this morning from God's word. First of all, me or myself. Secondly, God, a model of community. And then thirdly, the aim of God in community. What is God up to in calling us? Okay, to live together for his glory, to live unified, to live selflessly and humbly. What is, what is the aim of that in terms of God's purpose? So first, I think we need to look at us. And I think the, the, the bottom line from what we discussed last week, and this is just a quick summary, is that we are each prone to be proud in one of two ways. We either exhibit an overt sense of pride, and that's the kind that's easier to spot. It's more on the sleeve. It's visible. It's louder. It's not quiet. It doesn't tend to be veiled. It tends to be rather direct. It manifests itself in the fact that I don't seek or take advice well. I am often at odds with others. I have an overly high self-estimation of my view of things, and I tend to be independent. Proverbs 12 and verse 15 says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. The result of that overt pride is what? I become isolated and independent, and from a biblical perspective, I become highly vulnerable. Okay, it's easy for us to see it in others, very hard for us to see it in ourselves. The second kind of pride is this subtle level of pride. It is the fear of disapproval. It is fear of being exposed in terms of my weaknesses and inadequacies. I find failure or correction devastating, so I live in fear of failure or exposure, which means I tend to live in isolation. Does that make sense? Okay, if I don't want you to critique me or advise me because that advice feels like an attack. I find it devastating what happens. I tend to withdraw from community and I lose the value of what God himself has called me into and the value, in fact, of what God himself models. So Proverbs 22, 4 says, true humility and the fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Okay, so there's this this promise that goes with humility that can only be present when pride is killed or eradicated in my life. I find the promises of Proverbs to the humble highly attractive. I want those blessings in my life. So the question is, how do we get there? Okay, and I think one of the answers is we have to learn to be honest and transparent in the context of community. I, in the last couple of weeks to keep this as abstract as I can. I've had the privilege of being with a couple of different people in the context of getting a meal together. Okay. And I am always, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't tend to be, I tend to be very talkative. But I don't tend to be very transparent. Okay. I am, I tend to be guarded. Sometimes I think that may be related to the fact of my role as a pastor that, that gets a little awkward. Okay. Not that it should, but I'm just telling you that's a natural tendency that I have. When I was with these two friends, I was struck by the lines of questioning and discussion that we enjoyed together. When I went home, I actually texted the one person back and I said, thank you for being so 
transparent. Because that, that kind of transparency is in many ways an indication that there is no pride there. There's no fear of exposing oneself, of, 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 of being judged. It was just simple questions that were asked, seeking advice on how to live. One particularly from a younger man that I have uh, grown to love and respect because of that capacity to say and sense, I need others in my life. Okay, and that person, by the way, initiated that contact. A lot of times I call people and say, hey, can we get together? Can we do this? Can we do that? In that case, that was initiated because that individual wanted input. There's a beauty in that. There's a protection in that. Okay, so I want to encourage you to, to realize that, that true humility leads to riches, honor, and long life. And I'll come back to that verse at the end of our discussion today. So first of all, we look at us. So we get a problem with pride. Okay, it's just, it's a natural tendency that we wrestle with. Secondly, I want us to look at God in John 17. Because I think God in John 17 gives us a model of community. There is, there is within the Godhead this plurality. There is communication. There is life together eternally. It's an amazing Mind-blowing truth. So when you think of God in most world religions, God is a sole individual, right, who exists in isolation. But the truth of the biblical God is that he is one being in three persons. And within the context of Trinity, which I, 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 my goal this morning is not to explain it all to you in deep theological terms. It's simply to say that here is the biblical truth about the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And John 17 and John 16 give us powerful insights into the interaction within the Godhead. That is a beautiful and powerful interaction and community for us to look at and ultimately to model. So the Trinity is God in one being, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which means that within God himself, there is plurality and there is community. There is life together. And as you read through John 17, I hope you got the sense of what the Son is saying to the Father. And that interaction, that interplay, that is taking place so beautifully. In God, there is mutual praise in this text. There is esteem. There is glorying in. There is joy. There is adoration. There is affection. There is fellowship, as you'll see in other places. And there is honor. This idea of attributing significance and value and weight and poise to another person. Right? That's what's beautifully and perfectly happening within the context of the Trinity. There is humble deference. And God community is beautifully manifest for us. There is a mutual self-giving and submission. So we see this in the baptism of Christ, don't we? Christ comes to be baptized by John. As he is baptized, what happens? Heaven overflows with affection towards the son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's community. That's relating. And the spirit of God comes to do what? To affirm that initiatory work of the son moving ultimately towards the cross that is pictured in his baptism. So there is a, 
a, a, a beauty that is there in Christ's baptism. In John 17, 1, Jesus is crying out to the Father in the context of Gethsemane, crying out for, for the possibility of relief from the cross. But he ends with deference, right? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, deference, not what I want, but what you want. Here's the beauty. After saying that, Jesus says this, Father, glorify your name. The idea simply is this, be glorified in the action that the son whom you've loved eternally is about to undertake, that being the cross by which our salvation is made possible. Do you see? So there's this sense of community that is manifest within the Godhead. Jonathan Edwards says this, he said, within God is a community of persons pouring, glorifying, joyful love into one another. To have that kind of love, one writer said, would be to taste heaven itself. Folks, do you realize that when you see humility, you admire it? You glory in it. There is something attractive about it. And it, it is most beautifully and perfectly manifest for us in the mystery that is the Trinity. So when you think about God, Think in bigger terms, okay? Think in terms of community. Think in terms of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Eternally, one being manifest in three persons, ultimately at the cross for our benefit and for our saving. And when I enjoy that kind of deference and praise, when I get around people who adore one another, there is something about it that I can't help but be attracted to. Why? Because there's a level of humility there that Tim Hoff struggles with. There's something about that that is attractive because it glorifies God. I hope that we can press into this. Tim Keller calls this interaction the dance. Okay, meaning there is this relationship within the Godhead and, and it, I'm not a dancer, okay? I do stuff on the dance floor. I'm not bold enough to call it dancing, okay? But I understand that in, in that learned dancing, where you learn patterns and you learn give and take and, and leading and following and all those, I just did it, doing all those things, okay? There is a beauty, but there is a deference. There is a glorying in the other person. Here's the beauty of it. If that is happening in John 17 within the Godhead, then as I move towards the end of the text, I find Jesus inviting believers, his children, into that relationship. We are invited into that beautiful experience of what it is to know and love God and be loved by him, to serve him and to be honored by him. There's a beauty in that. That hope we can begin to, to capture. So in verses 20 and 21, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. Do you follow that? That, that should freeze us. That in the gospel... 
God's aim is to restore us back into relationship with him where we find a fullness, where we find significance, not in and for ourselves as an individual pursuit, but we find it in our relationship with God. We find glorying and there it is safe for us. Okay, does that make sense? We're invited into this. And I, it's not something I gave much thought to. I was challenged to it as I was studying on this issue of pride. So the problem in pride is what? Instead of us encircling one another and relating to one another in my pride, what do I do? I stand at the middle and I insist that you orbit around me. That you give me approval, that you give me affection. It is fascinating that within the Godhead, it functions very differently. No one is at the center. God delights in himself, glories in himself, and he invites us to enter into that relationship, though at some level we are distinct from that relationship. But that is an amazing and powerful thought and is a very beautiful explanation of what community is and what it ultimately can be and will be. In my pride, I destroy community. I want, I want to be honored. I want to be affirmed. I want to be approved. Pride is so strong. When our humility is Christ-like, we share mutually and we serve selflessly. We defer to one another so that one another can be benefited by the relationship. So here, here's a couple of observations that I'll just make on that real quick. Number one, that tells me that I am created in the image of God, right? Genesis 1, 7 says that, 127 says this. It says, God created man in his image, in his likeness, he created him. Okay, you know what that means? I was not created to live in isolation. God made me for community. God made me to enjoy life together. God did not create me for my personal satisfaction and expression. He created me to know him, to love him, and to express that kind of love and service to those around me. That, I'm telling you folks, that is a game changer. So when I declare independence... When I live in isolation, what is it that I'm rejecting? I'm rejecting the original design of God in humanity. And that will not end well. That's why Proverbs says this in 14.1. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. I don't need God's advice. I don't need to listen to God. I don't need to take into account created order. I can run my life fine, thank you, without God. But Proverbs tells us that it is the fool who expresses such pride in his heart. We are created in God's image. Therefore, we were created for loving and self-giving community. Pride causes me to isolate from the way that I was desired to function. And folks, I want to tell you, every time that happens, it will be devastating. When I move away from what God desired and designed in my life, I will not find what I'm looking for. See, here's the truth. When we hit a season of rebellion, what are we doing? We're declaring independence. I'm gonna move away from God's law. I'm gonna move away from the principles that God has stated about community. And I'm gonna find happiness on my own in isolation. It will always fail you. Why? You were not designed to find happiness and significance on your own. 
That's why the value of relationships in the New Testament is extremely high. Jesus chose 12 disciples. He could have just miraculously given them what he took three years to give them. He could have just, boom, miraculously made them sanctified believers, but he didn't. The Gospel of John tells us that he chose 12 and was with them. He experienced community with them. They were the early church, the early manifestation of the people of God in which there was to be this dance, if you will, this relationship, this relating, this me needing you and you needing me. That is the original design. My pride causes me to isolate from the way that I was designed to function. And I believe that is the world that you and I live in today. We live in a world that is divided, that is proud, that is radically self-centered. Therefore, in rebellion against God's design. And we as the church need to demonstrate for the world around us the way that things were meant to be. Okay? Because here's what happens. I can look at the way things are. I know it's broken. I, look, I can look at the Bible and understand the way that things can be. Right? And I can also look at the Bible and see that God gives us hope for progress in our relationships with one another. Okay? Ultimately, I know one day we'll be in God's presence perfect. Okay? So I know the way that one day things will be. I know the way they are. I know the way they can be. I know the way they should be. And I know the way one day they will be. Okay? So let's then ask this question. I've kind of explained this a little bit, but I want you to think of it from the purpose of two illustrations. Okay? Why is pride so dangerous? And why does God speak about pride in the strongest terms that he speaks about anything in the whole of Scripture? Right? So Proverbs 6 says what? God says, there are six things I hate, seven I detest. You know what the first one on the list is? Talked about this last week. A proud look. You know what a proud look is? I don't need you. It's a declaration of independence. It's an assault on created order and design. That's why pride is so dangerous. Because what happens is, I, I was created for community, but I drift into isolation, into individualism. There I become vulnerable because I am valuing myself above the community. You see, when I isolate from the body of Christ, when I isolate from my kids, when I isolate from my mate, the assumption is that I am fine on my own. And that you, the person God gave me, I don't need you. Okay, and that, that assaults God's design, God's plan, God's work in my life. So the New Testament gives us illustrations of the importance of community in two specific illustrations. One is marriage and one is the church. Okay, in the context of marriage, God diagnoses Adam in the book of Genesis. It says that he placed him in a beautiful garden. He allowed him to tend and eat from everything that was there. But the text is very clear. God comes to the conclusion as he is watching this. Not, it, it's laid out for us chronologically so that we can understand there is a progression. There is a truth about what man needed that father observed and then expressed. And what he says is this. It was not good for man to be in isolation. It's not good for man to be alone 
So I will make a helper suitable, a complement, a completer, a counterpart. Someone that will make him whole. That's the idea in marriage. Okay, and that begins to picture this truth of community, right? The first community that is created in the Bible is the community of the home. It's a relationship between a man and a woman, between a husband and wife. And in that relationship, they begin to find and experience a little bit of what is happening in the Godhead. There is love, there is deference, there is service, there is glorying, there is joy, there is affection. All those things are being expressed appropriately as they should be in the context of marriage. It was designed to meet a need, a need for relating and a need for community because it is not good for man to be alone. So what does pride do? Pride causes me to resist something in my mate, to dislike something in my mate, and that moves me into isolation because what am I focused on? I'm not focused on her. I'm focused on me. And the results of that isolation are always devastating. Why? Because I move out of the context in which God desires to bless and work in my life. So marriage is the first strong picture in the Bible of humble, selfless love that is central to relating. And so if I read for you 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5, I want you to listen to this because obviously what brings people together and what holds them together is biblical love, a selfless choice to sacrifice for and desire the progress and benefit of my mate, right? That's the, that's the picture in summary. So 1 Corinthians 13, the celebration of love says, love is patient. And kind, it does not envy, it, listen to this, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. All of those things to me sound like the exact opposite of everything that Jesus is saying in John 17. And my tendency is to isolate, it's to grovel in my apparent suffering, my, the lack of my needs being met, and I begin to resent the person that God has called me into community with. And when I do that, I damage my own life. Okay. And you know what drives all of that resentment? My pride, because I think I deserve better. I think my wife should serve me more, right? That's the kind of thinking that we tend to be riddled with. And God desires so to beautifully change that. The other illustration of unity that is used in the New Testament, the picture of community, is, is the church, the body of Christ. So in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul speaks about the church that is the picture of God's family, God's people. Now in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the body. So 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says, now the body is not made up of many but you are the body of Christ and each belongs to the other. So there is this in God's description of the church, there is an understanding that the church is a body, but it is made up of many parts. That is to say this, it is one, it is unified, but it is blessed with plurality of gifts that make it strong and effective. Okay, and what is the church? The church is the community that God is bringing together to glorify his name. We gather like this, not to live in isolation, but to serve one another, to learn the truth of God's word so that we can begin to then live it in the context of community, 
Okay, and when we live like that, what are we doing? We are ultimately pointing to God himself, who has called us into community and into relating with one another. In Ephesians 2, 19, the Bible says this. It says, by Christ, we have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer outsiders, but fellow citizens with God's people. And listen to what he says. And members of God's household. So in the church, what has God done? God has taken people that live separately, alienated, were strangers from one another, and through Christ has brought them into a beautiful union or community. Okay, so, so God is community, and that community is expressed by God in the, in the context of marriage that he created, for community and in the context of church life that he created for community. Both of them are always damaged when pride is present in my life. Okay, so we need to be careful to value the means by which God is making his truth known. We are better by God's design together than we are apart. By God's design A group of individuals working together always accomplishes more than an individual. Okay, that's because that is God's design. That is his picture. That is his purpose. He wants us to live in unity because that unity cannot cannot tolerate pride within it. So 1 Peter 5 and verse 5 says this. It says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. And listen to the way he says it. Towards each other. Because God opposes the proud, but he supports the humble. Okay, so when I move out of community and I move into isolation because of pride, I am damaging myself, but I'm not simply damaging myself. I'm also damaging the people that I have withdrawn from because I have some sort of grievance or disappointment with them. Okay, so it's, not, it's never an isolated move where I'm simply concerned about myself, that move is also a lack of concern for the people that God has called me to serve. And so pride damages not only me, it damages the people that I withdraw from because God created us to live life together as his body. Okay, so it's very, I think, important that we take uh, Peter's admonition to clothe ourselves with humility because that stifles pride and it increases unity and effectiveness of the body of Christ. Now, why is that message difficult for us? I don't think we struggle with it because it's unattractive, okay? Every time I'm around a strong marriage or a strong church family, there is something about it that I find attractive, right? There's something magnetic about that, that you, you want to enjoy that, okay? And, 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 and it's, it, it's interesting that in the context of Western culture, we have tend to place a higher value on individuals more than we do on the community. We tend to value my choices, my life. This is why people will quickly walk away from a marriage. I don't want to do the hard work. I don't want to sacrifice. What have they done for me? And what is the focus on? The focus is on me. I want myself to be adored. I want to be appreciated. I want to be served. And what is that? Uh, It's what run writers recently called a a radical sense of individualism or self-expression. 
I find my greatest joy in me being me, but when I do that, I forget about the community that God has called me to be a part of. And there is a, if you will, fundamental danger in that idea of what Carl Truman calls an, an expressive individualism, where my feelings, where my desires for self-expression are valued above community, above family, above church, and above the world that I live in. I make myself the center. My freedom, my expression. This is one of the dangers of living in America. When you see the flag that says, don't tread on me, I hope that you don't think that that is a statement of humility. Okay, that is a statement of individualism. For some, it is a statement of radical individualism. It's a command, stay out of my life. I put it up there, I don't want your involvement. It's a dangerous perspective. I understand it in its historical context. Okay, but when I begin to live with that sense of radical individualism, and I think that I'm all that, and that I can make it on my own, and I, I withdraw from the body of Christ, there is a red light flashing that tells me I'm not moving in the direction that God designed me to live in, okay? So please understand how I say that. When I, when I raise myself above those around me, my expression, my life purpose, my life desires, my needs, when I raise that above people around me, I am moving in a dangerous direction because I'm moving out of the community that God designed me to live in, okay? And it will not go well, okay? So I just, I, I hope that that, at some level, makes sense. There is an implicit danger in failing to value created order that is first modeled within the Godhead and then in creation when God brings a man and a woman together. God help us to value life together because I believe we live in a world that does not value it. It's why things are so divided, folks. It's why there's so much pride and arrogance and disagreement and argumentation. I talked to my neighbor who's a police officer. He says, Tim, I, I have never in my whole career, he's been a, a, a police officer for 25 years. He said, I've never experienced so much belligerence and people wanting to get in your face and wanting to fight against you. What is it? It's expressive individualism. It doesn't drive joy. It doesn't drive community. It drives havoc. Okay, and a lot, of, a lot of the struggle that has been taking place in our country is rooted in this desire to express myself, to, to, to be true to myself. And I think we need to be very careful. I think we need to analyze all of that kind of thinking on the basis of God's word. All right, so the last question I want to ask is this. What is the aim of how God designed us? Why did God make us interdependent rather than independent? I think that's a fair question to ask. Why did God create us for community? All right, what, what was the aim and what was the purpose of radically selfless relationships that fight against pride? Well, one of the reasons is this. And I, I mentioned this to you last week at the end, but I wanted to, this is a nail, I just wanted to hit one more time. It is this. It is, I find my true significance... Okay, and I, I'm, gonna, I'm using that word, don't read too much into it. I find my significance, my, God, I, 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 I'm afraid to use these words. I find my value, my importance, my reason for being created by God, gifted by God in the way that I am. I find that in the context of selfless service. Okay, 
Well, just to think about that. God made me for community to serve and bless others. And when I am living in community, I will find my highest level of joy. I'm not saying it's without struggle. I'm not saying it's without difficult, difficulty. We're imperfect people. But when we value the context of relationships that God has called us into, there is something beautiful that begins to happen. So Proverbs 22 verse 4 says this, true humility, okay, that is this, is the idea of, of being willing to walk lowly, to be a servant to others like Christ. True humility and the fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. I want you to think about that. True humility and a reverence for God leads to honor. I think that's one of the central thoughts here. We had a funeral here Saturday a week ago. It was for a 62-year-old man named Eric. And his mom's name is Dixie. Okay, and I, I, Dixie Maddox. I sat at that funeral and was awed by the things that were said. This dear lady had a son who was from birth uh, nonverbal and had a number of other uh, physical challenges and difficulties. This lady cared for that young man for 62 years. Okay, now here, here was the first thought in my mind was, I'm 61 years old. Think about that. She cared selflessly for her son for 62 years of her life. Now, here's what happened. And I, I talked to her the Wednesday night before the celebration of Eric's life. She shared how the gospel had invaded her life. How God had brought her, brought her to peace with the circumstance that he laid on her lap. And a little baby would need care for the duration. And here's what happened at the funeral service. And we had to limit the number of people. People came up, talked a little bit about Eric and a lot about what they saw in Dixie's life. Here's the thought that came to my mind this week. Those statements of admiration are what? They're honor. People weren't bragging about Dixie. They were literally saying, thank you. You follow what I'm saying? That they, they, they saw the, the sacrifice that she had exhibited for 62 years. And when they got up, they, they talked a little bit about Eric, but they could not help honoring her. And I think that's the essence of this text. True humility and the fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. People are watching your life, folks. To see someone who is fundamentally different than the individualistic culture that we are saturated in. They want to see somebody. And if you're somebody that genuinely cares, people will stand up and applaud. Not necessarily just because of you. They're applauding that, that selfless sense of being deferential, that, that selfless service, that long sacrifice, that humble love. There is something about that that is irresistible. And seldom present. In John 17, Jesus ends with these words, and I, I, I love this. 
Look at uh, verse 23. He says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Okay, do you see what's happening? That, that the, the father and the son is a picture of community and we've been working on them. I and them and you and me. And, and, and then this, 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 this beautiful idea, I, we do this so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you see what happens? When we live that selfless, deferential, deferring kind of life, what happens? It captures the attention of the world around us. You're thinking to yourself, how do I, how do I express my faith to people? Live it first. And then when there's curiosity that begins to build up because they see something about you that is captivating, that is admirable, that is honorable, you have a platform to share the good news of Christ. Okay, and that's, that to me is, is the beauty of what I experienced Saturday a week ago. Every person to a man, to a woman, to a young person speaking about what they had seen and giving honor. Not, not to make someone proud, but simply to give them what they were deserving of. To admire and to honor. May that be true for each of us. In John 13, 17, Jesus said this. Now that you know these things, this is this humble setting in which Christ watched the disciples' feet and then called them to love one another. He said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You would be blessed if you do them. Listen to that. If I, if I put on the robe of humility like Christ and I begin to selflessly serve my wife, I will bring blessings into the experience of our marriage, into the experience of our children. Do you see? You will be blessed, he says. If you do them, if, and literally it is this, simply to humbly serve one another, to wash each other's feet in, the, in that New Testament picture vernacular. You find your true purpose and your true value and your true significance, not when you focus on yourself, but when you focus on others. Because when you focus on others, the gifts of God that he has given you by the Spirit were given not for your benefit. They were given for the encouragement of those around you. And when you begin to move in service, you're going to begin to, to discover God brought capacities to make a difference in people's lives. And when that happens, your sense of purpose Worth and esteem will rise, not because you sought it in a selfish form of individualism, but because you sought it in loving others. And the, sa the Savior says to us this, he says, a new command I have given you at the end of that chapter, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That is to move around, to serve to dote over one another, because by this selfless service, all men will know that you are my disciples. God help us to value life together. God help us to value community and family, because it's there that he, he is most clearly expressed in all that he is, community, enjoyed in the context of our lives. May God help us to kill pride. Put pride to death and say, God, put on me the clothing of humility. Make Jesus 
attractive through me. Tonight, I'm going to a funeral. A friend of mine, 67 years old, died this week. His name is Glenn Clemmer. His brother-in-laws and he were a substantial form of protection in my life as a young man. These were four Mennonite guys that I spent a lot of time with. They liked fast cars. Uh, Played football every Sunday on their front yard. These guys were six foot plus. And I've told you, I, I, I grew two inches when I was 20, okay? So from 18 to 20, God allowed this group of men that knew Jesus to move into my life and to welcome me. And tonight, I'm going to have the privilege of interacting with people that with all my heart, I believe, God used their community to protect me from the stupid things that I would have done. Okay, I mean that. You know, as the songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. That's me. When you pursue relationship humbly, you will be embraced by something that you desperately need, whether you know it or not. You need it because you were created for community. And when you embrace ideas or, 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 or approaches to life that pull you away from community. You do damage to yourself. Phil Reinford and his brothers surrounded me. Not intentionally, they just did it. And so for all the crazy things we did together, the things of worldliness were just not part of that circle. And God used these four men, young men of integrity to show me that there was a better way to live. They made following God attractive for me and a whole lot of fun. Okay, we did a lot of just crazy things. And when I think back, I'm like, God, you allowed me to find what I needed outside of the context of drugs, of alcohol, of pornography. You drew me into a community that protected me. And I am so thankful for that. As I prepared this text, I thought of that group of people that God used without me even knowing how desperately I needed them. But when I look back, I, I can tell you where I would have gone apart from the grace of God in those relationships in my life. So I want to beg you, I don't care how old you are, by the way, to begin to embrace relationships. I, I recently had an older man, someone that I'm pretty close to, say to me, he said, I don't have friends like you do. I don't have the number of friends that I probably need. But I thank God for the people in my life that I know will hold me to account. That will call me to truth. That will confront when necessary and give a word of encouragement when it is desperately needed. Folks, when we do that, we make the gospel of Jesus believable for a world that so desperately needs to hear the truth. So my encouragement to you as a pastor today is understand the value of life-sustaining relationships and kill pride so that you can embrace it aggressively and bury yourself in godly relationships in which you help others and others help you. 
And when we do that, Jesus says, the world will know that you are mine. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, forgive our tendency towards radical individualism. Forgive us for denying the design that you have for our lives to live life together and to be more effective together than we could ever be alone. And Lord, when we embrace the importance of life together, you will be glorified in your church. So, Lord, I pray that you will you, you'll manufacture in this church a lot of people like Dixie, who over the long term lived in an honorable way because they were humble and have received their reward. Lord, I want to be, I want to be humble. God, I, I pray that I don't want it to be seen as humble, but because it is the way that we best glorify you. Do that for our church family, for each of us, God. Make us humble people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See my worth. My worth is not in what I own. Not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame. But in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. And I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. And I will trust in him no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. As summer, as summer flowers, we fade and die. Fame, youth, and beauty hurry by. But life eternal calls to us at the cross. I will not boast. I will not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom's feeding line. But I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. And I rejoice. And I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. And I will trust in Him no other, my soul is satisfied in Him alone.
two wonders. The two wonders here that I confess my worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. And I rejoice. And I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. And I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. And I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul and I will trust in him no other my soul is satisfied in him alone my soul is satisfied in him alone yes Lord this morning we are satisfied in you and you alone God kill our pride help us to be humble around others Help us to be like Christ to others. Help us not to see that these things that we have earned and gained are of our own making, Lord, but they are the blessings and they are the gifts that you've freely given to us. As Christians, we're called to be the most humble people, the most giving, the most loving. And really the only way we can do that is in relationship with each other and learning from each other and growing together. As iron sharpens iron, it's really what it comes down to. God, we thank you for this morning of worship. We thank you for this morning of hearing your word. We ask God to go into our week that we would be people that are humble to each other, kind to each other, gracious to each other, giving to each other, and ultimately, Lord, doing that because it reflects who you are. We thank you for this time. Be with us as we go from this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.